And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the next episode of Bears on Tap. I am going solo as a host today. My name is Quentin Crisco. You can find me on Twitter at Stats, And you can find Bears on Tap on Twitter at Bears on Tap. And I'm joined today by special guest Brandon Robinson. How are you doing today, Brandon? I'm doing great, Q. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So a little bit of background about this episode. We have asked a few different people to come on. We had Robert Schmitz. He was our, our film guy. We had uh, Jonathan Wood. He was our stats guy. And then we had uh, I am Scox on Twitter. He is, he was our, our fan who just gave us, you know, a bit more of the, the you know, diehard fan aspect. We've asked each of these guys these same questions. And today, Brandon, Brandon is our coach perspective on these same questions. So, Brandon, can you tell the people a little, little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah. So, uh, started playing football when I was probably six, I, I believe six or seven. Uh, played all the way through college, uh, played defensive back in college. As soon as I got done playing in college, I immediately switched over to coaching, started at the high school level as a defensive coordinator. Coached my way through a little bit of that. Uh, also coached arena football for a season and then got into college coaching right after that. And now I'm a defensive backs coach at the at the college level. Man, so did you uh, did you coach DBs at the arena level? Yeah, yep. Man, I feel like that's got to be just like so different because it was such a fast game and the smaller field and like the – the wild amount, like the, the interceptions that you could get on that smaller field, but like also all oh, the, yeah. it's the huge numbers that guys completely, were putting up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 a it's a completely completely different game. Um, it, and even like the techniques can be very very different. It it, it took a lo- a long a long adjustment, <laughs> but it was it was a it was a fun time. It's organizationally everything everything about arena football is completely different than any other <laughs> football that you could get into yeah that's just uh, i never thought about that before how, like for, especially from a db perspective until just now how different that all must be but because mm-hmm. you got a guy go running ahead. at you before the ball snapped <laughs> yeah like that, I, I remember thinking that was so cool when i was like when the back what was it, the chicago rush back in the day i'd like watch them when they were just on like on tv on a saturday and it was like man this is fun like these guys are running before the snap there's the game was just so fast mm-hmm. but let's go ahead and jump into to some of these questions that we got so the first one that we're looking at here is just really general how do you see the state of the bears right now i think they're in a they're in a really good state uh we're at the beginning of a rebuild but at the same time, we have an exciting young quarterback, had the number one pick in the draft. Our general manager, Ryan Poles, made an excellent trade to trade back to give Justin Fields exactly what he needed to, a go-to receiver. So now we're going into the season with very, very, like, tempered expectations, like nothing nothing too high, nothing too low. We're just looking for an exciting an exciting season and like that's what we have we have young exciting players that are are looking to flourish and grow and uh yeah excited exciting time that the uh the the tempered expectation part of that is something that i've been it, it's something that uh our, our fan came uh our fan individual i am Skokes 
kind of mentioned it was like it was something we talked a little bit about last week of as Bears fans, it always feels like when 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 the team is when expectations should be really low, the the our expectations tend to be more like more up reasonable, like, yeah, they can still be okay. They can they can find a way to manage. And then like when when it's a bit more exciting, our expectations tend to still be, I think, a little bit more towards that middle bar of like, we'll see. We think they'll be okay. It's it I, I feel like for the most part. Bears fans don't tend to get too high, but they don't tend to get too low either. It's a weird, no, weird spot. It's almost like all. the Midwesterner in us. <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget before last year. Like I kept, I kept seeing nine and eight predictions all of before the season last year. I'm like, man, this might be the worst. This might be the worst roster in the league, and that, like, and that is on purpose. So, like, I, I don't know how they're gonna win nine games and. After, yeah. And then that's exactly what we saw this year. You know, the saddest part of that is even like, I remember talking with Robert Schmitz before last season and saying like, you know, if outside a quarterback, this might be the worst roster in football. Like if, mm-hmm. if it got hurt, I would be saying we're going to get the number one pick. But then I was still sitting there saying they can get six wins. <laughs> like <laughs> I was within that. And it's like, I couldn't pull myself out, but Let's go ahead and jump to this the next item here. What are you hoping to see the Bears focus on in 2023 that you've seen last year or previous years? Uh, really to evolve the offense around Justin Fields. Because one thing that we saw last year was at the very beginning of the year, they were they were still running the basic outside zone play action under center offense and it wasn't really till Justin Fields like took over some games on his own that they started to evolve the offense and change it a little bit to tailor it towards Justin Fields' game so going into this season I really really hope that's what they continue to do is tailor the offense towards Justin Fields and tailor the offense towards DJ Moore because you bring in an, an exciting talent like DJ Moore, who's going to be the first read on a lot of these passing concepts. And that's exactly what the bears need is a first read type receiver to get Justin Fields to start anticipating these routes breaking open and to get him to do that. He needs to be able to trust the receivers and DJ Moore is the perfect receiver that you can build that trust with. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I, I agree with you on that, that, I mean, I was, to be honest, I was shocked that Caroline was willing to give up DJ Moore when they're bringing mm-hmm. in a young quarterback of their own. I mean, that that seems like seemed to me like the one guy that they probably would be untouchable for them of like, we want we want this guy to build chemistry with with Bryce Young as he's coming in here. But so as you say that, and I know you're more of a defensive coach, so maybe if if you don't have a great answer for this, feel free to just kind of say so. But I, I think I think you're a really smart football guy, so you, I think there's a good chance you do have a good answer to this. How would look looking at the Bears' offense and Justin Fields specifically? How would you try to build build an offense around that? Like, what would be kind of your your uh, your calling card to what you would want to do? Uh, I would run a lot of I run run a lot of pistol. I think that's one thing that you don't really see as much in the NFL is the pistol, and a lot of defensive coaches would tell you just because the the pass protections are a lot more difficult out of out of pistol. 
because you got more full slides than you do half slides because in a regular in a regular offense you're going to get more half slides than you will get full slides and the thing is about full slides is if you're completely sliding the offense to your right the offensive line to your right then the running back is going to have that defensive end or the tight ends that's what you saw out of uh who is that what playoff game was that oh the okay the play uh Brock Purdy got hurt on in the playoff game the 49ers fully slid their line to the left they had two tight ends on Hassan Reddick he got right by him and then crushed the quarterback um but yeah anyways I I would I would like to see them run the pistol more because the thing is about running the pistol is it it gives you it gives you the allowance to be able to use Justin Fields' legs while also giving you that play-action version of the offense. Because you can run all of the wide zone-type run plays while also being able to run the read-option-type plays with Justin Fields at the same time. Being able to have both of those in your bag instead of going under center and then it being pretty obvious what you're running because now you're running wide zone and play-action. And then you go to shotgun, and now it's oh you're only running inside zone, and you're you're trying to use Justin Fields' legs, right? Because a lot of times what you don't see as much of is you're not able to get that play action out of shotgun. Like you 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 right. don't have the quarterback turning his back to the defense, and play action isn't being like it is not as useful out of shotgun because these linebackers aren't falling for these little fakes in shotgun. So being able to if 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 I was the one making this offense, I would be running the pistol and still keeping the wide zone, running a lot of play action, running these content sets to be able to to block at the edge and get Justin Fields outside on the edge using his legs. Yeah, I mean I think that's a that's a really interesting point you bring up with that because I mean, even just just recently, I I started like I, I listened to a podcast that was uh you know huge football nerd alert, but a podcast about uh play action. That's all it was about. And it was like I'd never really thought about it of like, yeah, you know, in shotgun, I guess you really can't do the wide zone play action stuff because you're just uh-uh. you're not selling it, right? And the linebackers are no. seeing that the, the linebacker's sight is straight into where the quarterback is doing the play action. There's you don't have that degree of disguise that you get when you have the the you know under center to to turning the turning your back and I mean turning your back yeah the it, it impacts the quarterbacks they can't see but it also impacts the defense because they can't see the football. I mean I feel right. that, that's something that I'd never really thought about or kind of often overlooked with that shotgun passing. So I, I really like that idea about bringing in the pistol. Now do you think the reason why you don't see it more in the NFL is because like you said, it's with, with the, the, the slides, you end up with some really good edge rushers kind of mismatched on two tight ends or a tight end and a running back. Do you, do you think that's kind of the driving reason why you don't see it more often? Or do you think it's something different? Well, it's, it's, it's definitely a lot about that, but also like the NFL takes a very long time to innovate and try new things because the thing is with these, that's the answer I was hoping you were going to give the leash. (laughs) Yeah. Cause it's real. The leash on these coaches (laughs) is so short that if you try to run some, if you run some stuff, 
and the media doesn't agree with you. Like this, these ownerships will pull you very, very, very quickly. Like I don't, I don't know how the turnover on these on these coaches. They they get one year, and if it doesn't work out, they're gone. Like no matter of this, no matter of the circumstance, they're gone. And I mean, I honestly, I I'm that is one of the more intriguing things that isn't talked about is. Uh, yes, the Bears had a bad season, and it was it was pretty expected, and they were they were set up to fail. But what's going to happen this year if they don't turn around? If they don't go eight and nine, like is the pressure on Flus at that point? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great a great question. Like, I mean, I, it probably should be if they're not in the hunt down the stretch, right? And like that, mm-hmm. I'm. That's coming from a guy who, like, I liked the Matt Eberflus hire just because I, I thought highly of him as a coach. But, like, I mean, even as a guy who liked him, it's you, number one pick as bad as the roster was, number one pick, and then sitting here with a guy who we hope is the franchise quarterback. And if you can't at least be in the hunt down the stretch, I start to have some real questions about it. And on the uh, – I'm, I'm, when I said that was what I hoped your answer would be, it was – a, a certain thing comes to mind for me with that of like when going back to my high school days, our high school offense, you know, everything had jet motion attached to it, right? Everything, mm-hmm. everything had the jet motion action and had, you know, two to three play fakes within it. And well, three might be overstating, but probably one to two play fakes within it. And I remember thinking like when I was in college and talking to some of my friends and saying, why don't NFL teams use jet motion? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me that, cause at the time they didn't. And then, mm-hmm. you know, five years down the road, you start to see it become really popular in the NFL. And I, I'm just sitting here going like, maybe these guys are pretty conservative, aren't they? With how, how they yeah. change. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, that's one of like, that's one of the tougher things to plan against is jet motion because you have to know exactly what you're going to do as a defense, like how you're going to react, because like if you don't react to jet motion, it's not only him getting the ball. It's also like you could get out flank and out leverage, and now you're giving up the edge to a, to a, a rusher on a pitch. Right, right, yeah. I mean, it's it it just creates so many reads, and like it makes them think. You know, it makes them have to think. And I always thought that was such a big part of mm-hmm. running an offense is you have to make them think. You can't just let them, let them take over the game. Right. Um, so now moving on to the next thing here, what is your favorite thing that the Bears are doing? And this could be with their roster, with their scheme, with the front office, ownership, anything, anything top to bottom in the organization. What's your favorite thing that the Bears have going on right now? Uh, my my favorite thing is their patience. Ryan pulls his patience. He he has had a very very slow approach towards this rebuild, and that's so nice because going from Ryan Pace, who just seemed to he was trying to push all of all, every single chip he had, borrowing chips, pushing them in at every chance he could get. So now having having a slow build and having that patience. I think is is going to be so critical down the road because the thing is they had they had all of these resources this year and they're gonna they're gonna still have a lot of resources next year because the cat this cash space is going to roll over into next year which I don't really think gets talked about and that's going to be 
so so incredibly useful and I, I guarantee Ryan that's that's the thing that Ryan Poles is talking about in in this offseason is being able to roll roll over that cash space to when you actually need it when you need to re-sign the Darnell Moons of the world when you need to re-sign Cole Komet when you need to re-sign your good players like DJ Moore is gonna be wanting a bigger extension like I, I know that might not be expected because he has a lot of years left but Drew Rosenhaus said as soon as he got traded, like that's the, the best thing you can do as a as a star player is get traded because now you have all the leverage. Yeah, no, I mean, I, the second they trade for him, it's like, well, I guess there's new money coming soon, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, now, so it's it's interesting to me, like, you, so you mentioned the, the Ryan Pace comparison, right? And so do you think Ryan Pace was patient though? And looks like that, what was it? 20, 2015, 2016, before he even made a move for the quarterback. And even then it was, it was another year before he kind of started hitting the panic button of like, we got to get good fast. I, I think he might, I think he might've been for a second, but the, the last <laughs> couple years when it was so incredibly obvious that they weren't said like they weren't in a position yeah. to win. And then they continued to push in the chips rather than pull chips back and try to rebuild or at least reload is, is where he really put himself into trouble. But again, I, I get it from his aspect because like w- what he's playing for his job. So he yeah. like he, the only thing he's worried about is this year in winning and keeping his job and getting an extension, which if I'm if I'm in his shoes and I'm thinking about my my kids going to school and not being able to rip them out of school to to move to Atlanta or move to a different state because I lose my job, I, like I I totally totally get it. There is definitely a human aspect to all of this. Yeah, no, absolutely, and it's just it's interesting to me to think about like say that you know, and, and obviously this this goes into so many hypotheticals that it's not even like realistic to to say what would or wouldn't happen, but like the situations matter so much with, with, I feel like any coaches or GMs of like, you know, say that Pace had inherited Trubisky a year after being drafted or something. And then gets, you know, instead of the number two pick, the number one pick, does that start to change the way that any of the stuff gets molded? And I'm not trying to sit here and defend Ryan Pace because like you said, I mean, he made plenty of, rough rough decisions after making the mistake on Trubisky but I just think it's it's interesting to think about like you said Paul's patience was such a uh, such a thing that you you like about what you've seen with the Bears so far under him and I agree I mean I think it's hard to be that patient with anything in this league and it's interesting to think about how circumstantial some of this stuff ends up becoming like you know the Bears got the number one pick and it kind of changed everything. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that gets overlooked sometimes with, with the aspect of being a GM that some, some stuff really is kind of circumstantial and works out well for you, but then it's on you or on the GM to make the right decision in those circumstances. Right. Cause you, the GMs always get applauded for making moves. They don't, they don't, they don't get applauded by the media for not making moves. They only get applauded for making the moves. Yeah. Hey, Robert Quinn signing was applauded. You know, I mean, not that it was mm-hmm. the worst thing ever because he did put up a lot of sacks in that second year. But like 
it never really made a lot of sense either. <laughs> like the Jimmy Graham right. signing was applauded. Like it, oh, you're, you're very right about that. You get applauded for them just making any moves and mm-hmm. you get, Hey, I'll be the first to tell you, I was ready to to burn the town down when Ryan Poles wasn't making free agent signings, you know, but like I'm, I'm sitting here <laughs> going, it all, it all worked out, you know, I kind of like where they're sitting mm-hmm. right now. Um, mm-hmm. So on the flip side of this, what's your least favorite thing going on with the Bears right now in any level of the organization? I I would probably say the outlook of the O-line. Um, which this might be a hot take among their Twitter. Uh, but I, I, I still think, I still think currently they have a bottom three O-line and going like after that, after last year and after the troubles we've seen of Justin Fields getting nicked up quite a bit, that like that, that's just something that really worries me is the, is the state of the O-line because like, I, I just, I like, if we get a if we get a step back at left tackle, if Darnell Wright is just a normal rookie tackle, because the thing is, Darnell Wright is very good pass protector, but it's still going to take a major major adjustment to move to the pro level. Like I, I'm expecting him to not play very well because that that's just what rookie tackles do. They don't play very well because these edge rushers are really really good. And then Nate Davis. He's he's had a little bit of trouble staying healthy a little bit. Tevin Jenkins has had a ridiculous amount of trouble staying healthy and staying on the field. And I I, I just look around at this whole line and it's just like it, like once these guys start going down and and these rookies and second year guys don't play very well, like Justin Fields is going to be running for his life again. And going into the and going into this year and having all the resources that they had and I just would have liked to see them make a couple a couple more moves, especially with depth, to secure the O-line and, and make Justin Fields a little bit more comfortable back there. Yeah, I'm I mean I'm I'm with you on that. I, I think I'm I've clearly stated my thoughts on on Twitter and articles I've written of like, you know, I would have loved to see an Andrew Wiley signing or a, uh, mm-hmm. a Isaiah Wynn come in here yes. because just because guys who might not be clear starters on every team in the NFL, but guys who are just going to add to that depth in that room and that versatility to be able to to play guard or tackle and be a swing guy for you when, you know, your left guard goes down for three games and then at the end of those three games, your right tackle goes down for four games. You, you need a guy who can just do a little bit of everything. I, I would have really liked to see that versatility added and we didn't really see it. And I'm still kind of holding out hope that we'll see a veteran sign right before camp, like it, like we saw Riley Reef last year and Michael Schofield. Not that you know, I, I, I would be hoping for maybe a guy who's a little bit more on the upswing than those guys were in their career. But that's prob that's probably a little optimistic. I might might have to think that that's even possible to find a guy in the upswing right before training camp. But right. um, I'm with you. I'm I'm hopeful that Jatar Carter. Tyree Carter is going to be more than what his draft position says, but I'm not sure it's smart to count on that either. And it feels like that that's what they're going to do. It feels like that's kind of where they're headed is saying Tyree Carter's our guy as yeah. far as so the which, 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 guy goes. 
Yeah, which to me is is kind of crazy because, like, the chances of Tevin Jenkins playing seventeen games is probably less than one percent of one percent. Like, he, like, at, there there is some there is some point he's not going to be on the football field, and then what we have we have we have Carter out there and a rookie, and it's just like I I, I just I I, re, I really really struggle with this whole line. Like, th- this is this is a very bottom bottom tier O-line and I, I really I, I'm really interested to see scheme wise how Luke Getze takes that pressure off of Justin Fields because to me like besides him anticipating another issue that I have with Justin Fields is him not sliding up into the pocket like he doesn't slide up into the pocket and make it to his third read and then just toss it in there very often and yeah. I don't really blame him at times when the old line is this bad and this untrustworthy. <laughs> and if that is the case again, like that's, these are the kind of things that hurt development with quarterbacks. And that's the last thing I want to see is Justin Fields of development get hurt because of this old line. Yeah. I, I think that's an outstanding point of like, at what point are you sitting here saying he's never going to figure out how to slide up in the pocket and keep his eyes up because he's just, it's been three years now. And he's been doing it this way and it's been working for him, but like, it's not always going to work for him. And that that's where you start to get worried. And at, at some point here, I feel like there's going to be a breaking point of uh, saying, well, he just, he never figured that out and it's probably never going to. Right. And, and, and the thing is with, with not having a trustworthy, secure bookend tackles is that you're going to get a decent amount of pressure off the edge. And, it, what is he going to do? Just bail bail out of the pocket and put himself in harm's way with defensive ends chasing him down because like he did a good job of getting away, but like like there there like you put yourself in that situation enough times and it's it's eventually not going to go your way no matter who you are. Yeah, I mean that uh, I'm with you on some of the worry with the O line. I'm hopeful, but I mean. At the end of the day, Tev, like you said, Tevin Jenkins has had health issues. Nate Davis has missed a few games almost every year. Cody Whitehair, we're not sure what we're getting with him availability-wise anymore. And, I mean, Darnell Wright, he's been healthy in college. And Braxton Jones has never had issues. So, that at least I'm, I'm more confident in those guys staying healthy. But also, just rookies tend to get nicked up more. And like, uh, to your point, they tend not to be good. So... Uh-huh. I mean, as as hopeful as I am, like Penny Sewell wasn't good as a rookie. He was okay. Like he was, it was manageable, but I'm not sure I'd say that he was, he was walked into the NFL and was a successful tackle right away. And that's, that's kind of where my, my sights are set for right. As far as like a comp goes is Penny Sewell like, and if Sewell wasn't walking in the NFL, a star, I'm not sure I can count on right to do that either. Now let's switch this back to a bit more optimistic note because I want to just be, be, be a show that that, that's just smashing them. Um, What position are you most excited about for 2023? Oh, receiver by far receiver by far, because you, you, you bring in DJ Moore, excellent, possibly top, top 15, top 20 receiver. You got Darno. Uh, I think we lost Brandon there. 
but I think I, I have an idea where he was going with that of receiver is really an exciting spot for the bears this year. I mean, Darnell Mooney was a guy who we were all hoping could maybe be a one next year and, or this past year. And while he, we might not feel that same way anymore. I still feel like he's a really good number two. And that, that means a lot for an offense that added DJ more. Brandon, are you back? Back up. Hold on. Yeah. Yeah. We we got you back. We're not. I was for a second. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're good now. You were, uh, we, we lost you right when you started talking about the receivers. Okay. Okay. Where was I? Darnell Mooney yet or no? Uh, you were ju- you just said Darnell Mooney's name and then it cut out. Yeah, I, I got you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. You want me to start from the top? Yeah. Just start it. Start it back from the top. Okay. Sorry about that. So, yeah, uh, receivers is definitely the position I'm most excited about. I mean, you got DJ Moore. You're bringing in a top 15 to top 20 receiver. Excellent after the catch. Can beat you deep. Plays outside. He's like – I remember that, like, the Debo cop was getting used a lot, quite a bit with Valus Jones, but DJ Moore <laughs> has a very, a very, very good reason to have a, a, a Debo Samuels-type comp. And so, like, bringing in a guy like that and then you bring him alongside Darnell Mooney, who's incredible, versatile, inside-out guy, great route runner, speed, offers a little bit after the catch, has really good rapport with Justin Fields. And then you add in on top of that Chase Claypool, who's gotten criticized quite a bit this offseason. But at the end of the day, he's just another guy – on a contract year. So you, you have a credibly talented contract year type guy and your expectations should be very, very high because this, this could be his year to really cash in. So he should be doing everything he possibly can to have the best year he possibly can. And maybe he doesn't believe that he needs to, to put in the work right now, but I guarantee you as soon as training camp comes around, He's he's going to be a guy to watch for. He's going to be a guy looking to flash as much as he possibly can so that he can get a $20, $20 million a year contract like these receivers are getting nowadays. So by far, receiver is the most exciting position I, I, I'm ready for this year. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, from a fantasy perspective, Chase Claypool is a guy I'm really targeting like for value just because mm-hmm. – Contract year wide receivers are some of my favorite fantasy pickups. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, the, there's a lot on the line for them, and they're doing everything they can to go get paid. And I think that that is going to be no different for Chase Claypool and for the results the Bears offense gets this year. Hopefully, I mean, I I'm excited to watch him play in this offense as a guy who might have underwhelmed some last year, but. He's also a guy who walked into the Steelers and got like 800 yards and nine touchdowns as a rookie and got put up 900 yards the year after that, I believe. So, I yeah. mean, the guy can play. I, mm-hmm. I'm not worried about his ability. Like, I'm more worried about his commitment to 
putting in that, putting in the work and putting in the time and it, which is all just based on rumors that we've heard, you know, I mean, I, I can't actually sit here and trash a guy who I've never met his work and his work ethic and commitment to it. But that's based on what we've heard. I'm excited to see what he's doing for a payday this year, because I think there's a, mm-hmm. there's a lot of opportunity there for him. Um, now, also from the, from the receiver aspect, I do want to say, because I, there is an article out there with my name on it saying that Debo is a statistical comparison to Bayless Jones. And I just want to touch on this because he was such a weird prospect coming out because both of, both of them were Debo and him because they were used in such a weird way. And they were really the only two receivers I could find. Like, go, I think I went back six or seven years on like usage stats and, um, and like age, age of being drafted and stuff like that. And there was a lot to say, like, yeah, they're pretty similar. But when you're that much of a unicorn, I think it's hard to say anyone's a comp to that. You know, it's like when you're used right. that weirdly and that successful with it. I think, I think that's something I said in my article of like, yeah, this is the comp, but like temper your expectations because there's only one of these guys for a reason, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, absolutely. Go into the flip side of that. What's, what's the position that you're, you're least excited about or most worried about might be another way to say it. Probably D line addresser specifically. Um, they're really, really, really lacking on the D line. And that, that goes as far as stopping the run and rushing the passer. Uh, I'm very interested to see whatever Flus and Williams draw a draw up this year because, like, the, like the thing the thing is about defense is when you don't when you don't when you don't have the Jimmys and Joes, like, it doesn't really matter what you do with the X's and O's. It's it's, <laughs> it's really really hard to create production when you just don't have the guys out there. So. Uh, I, I think they're going to be doing a lot of work, creating a lot of stunts to try to get some of these guys free while they're trying to develop some of the younger guys. And like, I, I just, I don't, I don't really think they have the talent on, on the D line right now. So that's going to be a position where you're just looking for a guy, hoping for a guy that just comes out of nowhere and flashes because that's, that's really what they need right now. So if you were, if you were coaching a unit, yeah, like, this unit or one that you that's similar where you're just saying like man the talent's not here what type of things would would you be implementing or try trying to bring into the the scheme to to help with something like that with a lacking defensive line uh like like i said and and like what they were doing last year is like you gotta you gotta run a lot of stunts you you gotta you gotta blitz with your guys you gotta bring pressure you gotta create havoc because the, the the more the more things that you throw at the offense, the more unpredictability you throw, the the more variance you're going to have. And with it with a defense, especially especially up front, that has such a low amount of talent, you're just trying to throw as much variance as you can. So making the O line work, making the quarterback work with with the O line protections and changing the protections and running these stunts and sugaring and sh- and showing pressure and then not not giving pressure Th- those are some of the now, things that I would be doing to create create that when you say sugaring what do you mean by that so by by 
showing showing the off, showing the the outside linebackers or showing the middle linebackers coming up to the line of scrimmage and showing that you're going to bring pressure and then not bring pressure and then okay. showing that you're bringing pressure and then actually going so yeah, a lot so of the just keeping them guessing yes exactly you'll you'll see a lot a lot of times being called simulated pressures where you're showing that you're yeah. blitzing and then the linebacker's coming, but you're really only coming with four guys, and then you're dropping one of the defensive linemen in, in the coverage and still having seven guys back there. And I I know Bears fans always loved, loved Khalil Mack dropping in coverage, so I'm sure we'll love, <laughs> love that this year as well. <laughs> well, if they're not expecting them to actually bring pressure, I would I would I would hope they wouldn't get as as upset about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, now, so before we get to this last question, I just, since you're, you're a defensive back background, I, I want to ask you a, a, a kind of off, off the sheet question of what, what do you think of what the bears have in their defensive backs right now? Um, and you can wax poetic about Eddie Jackson if you want, because I'm here to listen to it. But with, with the other guys as well, the Tyreek Stevensons, the uh, Kyler Gordons, and what 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 do you see and what they have in that room right now? I think they have a good room, uh, and I don't know if that's necessarily going going to mean production as much this year because. You're going to have guys developing. I think Tyree Stevenson is going to be on the field a lot. And being a corner in the NFL, like that's like we just talked about tackle and the amount of of low expectations you should have for rookie tackle. And that's that's the exact same thing play year one. So I think there's going to be a lot of development. I'm, I'm really hoping for Brisker to really, really come around. Uh, the tough thing about playing defensive back is even if you have a pretty good unit, which I think they're going to have a pretty good unit, it's it's really hard to create that production when you have such a poor pass rush. Because yeah, I, I, I am unfortunately one of the guys that thinks that pass rush, this is crazy to say as a def- defensive backs coach, but I believe in pass rush over coverage. Which, which is, which is a, is a hot take, especially being a defensive <laughs> backs coach. But at the end of the day, like when you, it, if you're creating the havoc, it, it takes pressure off of, off your, your defensive backs. When you don't have any pressure, it's really, really, really hard to go, to be back there and cover them for four and, and five and five seconds. But I like, I think having the tandem of Brisker and Eddie Jackson. Being able to mix and match the coverages with those two back there, I, I think will do a lot for this defense because, I mean, th- th- one of the best things that Eddie Jackson does is he's able to disguise coverages. He's able to sit at 15 yards while playing the curl flat, which is so- something you see the, the safeties rolling into seven yards off of the ball doing, and he's comfortable playing it at 15 yards because he's disguising the coverage and then just – basically supersonic speeding, <laughs> jumping the route and picking off the ball. So I I absolutely love Eddie Jackson. Uh, I hope he's a bear for as long as possible. He seems to be a, an incredible leader among the defensive backs. And like you've, you've seen a lot of them talk, talk about that over the years. 
So seeing that development amongst them, I think will be huge. I think having Kyler Gordon in the slot will be big because he, to me, he's not really your prototypical outside corner. He's a quicker, smaller guy who actually likes to tackle and likes to hit. So I think he's perfect for the nickel. So having him in his ideal position position will really help his development going forward. So I, I think that's absolutely awesome for him. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm glad to hear that. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't sure about Kyler Gordon as in the slot because I felt like he played better last year once they just put him outside and said, you're outside now. But I didn't necessarily know if that meant he was a rookie being asked to do too much and the slot might still be his best spot or he's just better outside. So I, I do, I do like to hear that from you. Who's uh, who is much more knowledgeable on defensive back play than me that, that you do still like him in the slot. Now on the last question here, season prediction, what do you got the bears doing this year? I would say somewhere around between six and eight wins. If I had to pick an exact number, I would probably say they would go seven and 10. I think, they're going to be in a lot of exciting close games where flip of the coin, it could go either way. Um, at the end, at the end of the day, um, I think the O-line is going to come up short for them quite a bit. Uh, I think the pass rush is really going to hurt them. I think stopping the run is going to be a huge issue, especially with the division that they're in because all three teams will be running the ball quite a bit this year. Uh, so I, I think that will be an issue for him. But I, I, I think they're going to be in a lot of exciting games. And I, and I don't think there's anything that would be wrong with going 7 and 10, 8 and 9, as long as you're very, very competitive and have exciting games and seeing growth with Justin Fields. Because at the end, at the end of the day, that's the only thing that really matters this year is, is seeing growth from Justin Fields. Like, you're not expecting to win a bunch of games this year. Like, so your number one thing that you should be worried about is is growth from Justin Fields and seeing a guy that seems to be putting in all the work, saying all the right things, doing all the right things that Justin Fields is doing. I think it's great. Now we just need to see that we need to see that development. And you'll hear you'll hear a lot from OTAs and training camps of having up and down days. And the, the thing is. Like that's where you that's where you want those days. That's where you want the up and down days because that's where development happens. He's not gonna get better at playing football in February, March, April, like he because he he's not reading defenses during during that time. Being able to to read defenses during practice is where he's going to develop, where he can try new things and and work out the kinks and, and really develop as a player. I mean, you remember when Jay Cutler threw no, inter- no interceptions at training camp? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one thing, it, it sparked something in my in my mind when you said you don't think they're going to be able to stop the run. And so one thing I've been thinking through with that is like, you know, they got Andrew Billings, they got Javon Dexter. I feel like both those guys are, are they should be able to stuff the run in this league, but how would you weigh as a, as a defensive coordinator? Like 
I'm not sure these guys can get a pass rush, but I need to be able to stop the run. Do you play both those guys together? How do you how do you balance needing the pass rush but having the those run stuffers and feeling like you need them to be on the field as well? Yeah, I I, I think that's where you where you get loading the box, especially on early downs and taking chances and loading the box because a lot of, a lot of times that's what you're what you're trying to do as a as a defensive play caller is guess what the opposing team is going to do. So like it, for instance, if you think that it, if you're, if you're playing a team, like for instance, like the bears, if you're playing a team like the bears on second and 10, there's a 60% chance they're running the ball. So what should you be doing? You should be loading the box. So I, I think stuff like that, loading the box, shifting the line, making them work, making the other team think will will really help because the thing with Javon Dexter is there's going to, there's going to be a lot of development from him. I wasn't as high with Javon Dexter. I think the one good thing about him is that you would hope that he would be able to stay on the field by stopping the run. But I mean, the thing is about these, these offensive linemen in the NFL, they're very, very good. And they're in a division with offensive lines that are very, 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 very good. Like the Bears had the worst offensive line in the division by far. So they're going to be seeing a lot better better offensive lines week to week than they do see in practice, which I, I think will take a lot of time. But I I think at the end of the day, like it's going to be Justin Jones, it's going to be Billings, but there's going to be a lot of rotation amongst the D-line. I, I think with bringing in Demarcus Walker and guys like him, you're going you're gonna to be seeing those guys go inside-outside and trying to create havoc like that. Okay. Yeah, that that makes sense to me, and that's kind of where where my head was at as well. Um, but it's good to, good to hear it from someone who's a little more knowledgeable on it than I am. Um, Brandon, can you tell everybody where they can find you, find find your anything you put out there and, uh, and whatnot? You can find me at BRobNFL. Very, very excited for the season. Very, very excited to get some more Bears content out there once the once the season comes around, once we get that all 22 and, and we're able to, to talk talk about some of the X's and O's of the of the Bears season. All right. Well, thank you so much for jo- joining us, Brandon, and talking some Bears with us. Um, and that's all we got for you on this show, folks. Make sure to Go check us out on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, everywhere that you can find any sports content. Bears on Tap is there. Check out ontapsportsnet.com for all of our writing, our articles, all Chicago sports content. We, we, we've got it all covered. We've got fire. We've got bulls. We got Blackhawks. We got Bears. Uh, we got White Sox and Cubs. We've got every, we, we've got it all. And we've got two different Bears podcasts. This one. Bears on Tap and Bears Nation is part of the On Tap Sportsnet podcast network. So go check them out and we'll just get out of here the only way we know how. Bear down. <laughs>